Hello dear listener, please subscribe to our channel. Enjoy watching. When you grow older, you start to perceive everyday reality differently than you did 10 or 15 years ago. You begin to treasure each day you've lived, fully aware that the time allotted by the Almighty is gradually diminishing. Time itself seems to fly swiftly. In childhood, it stretched out slowly, and every summer felt like a lifetime. But now, in the twilight of one's years, time whizzes by like an express train outside the window. Indeed, our lives can be compared to a train journey. Upon birth, you find your place in a carriage. The train starts moving slowly at first, then gains speed, and eventually, it's racing. The scenery outside changes, people come and go from the carriage. Some stay for a long time, while others disembark at their stations. Some are lucky, and their fellow travelers accompany them to the final stop. I am now 63 years old, and my train has already passed the second to last station, rapidly approaching the terminus. What can you do? Involuntarily, at my age, you become a philosopher. I was fortunate with my fellow passengers. I met Paulina, my wife, at a restaurant where I went with my friend. Paulina was with another guy at the time and didn't pay much attention to me initially. I don't remember what we were celebrating that night, but going home alone was not an option, so I recruited my neighbor from the stairwell. At that time, I was a third-year student at the Engineering Institute, while Paulina had just finished school. The evening passed quickly, and we all dispersed to our respective homes or friends' places. But the beautiful blonde had found a place in my heart. Fate cannot be fooled. We met Paulina again some time later, and eventually, we became a couple. We got married during my fourth year of college. A year later a son Yura was born, and after another eight years a daughter Julia appeared. After graduating from college, I joined the army. Two years later, I applied for an extension and continued to serve. Military service didn't bother me, I made progress and rapidly climbed the career ladder. I served in various places, the Middle East, Germany, Africa, and eventually, I completed my service in the Odessa region. I reached the rank of colonel and was honorably discharged from my position as the army's chief of intelligence. I adapted quickly to civilian life. My initial profession was in demand, and I started working in manufacturing. Within three years, I became the chief mechanic, and two years later, I became the chief engineer at the Techno Device Factory. My experience in leadership roles didn't go to waste. Until recently, I continued working at the factory, while Paulina worked at the regional hospital. She, too, had advanced in her career and held the position of the head nurse. Our children grew up. Our son graduated from the Ministry of Internal Affairs Institute, and our daughter from the university. They started their own families. By this time, I had reached retirement age and finally retired. Paulina, on the other hand, continued to work, even though she was already eligible for retirement. I must say I was lucky with my wife in every sense. She was one of those women who age very slowly. In her years, she looked significantly younger than her age, and men still cast admiring glances her way. She always dressed tastefully with minimal makeup. A stylish haircut, enticing curves, everything that makes a woman attractive to the opposite sex. I won't say I fared worse. But men age faster. The service, injuries, and other factors took their toll. All of this didn't make us any better or younger. But I couldn't be called a withered stump either. 
Out of habit from my army days, I woke up early, went for a run, did some calisthenics, as much as I could manage. I may have put on a little weight, but overall, I still had a decent appearance. Additionally, I played the guitar and accordion quite well. What else did I need to feel happy? Having lived with one woman for so many years, I had no doubts that I would spend my whole life with her. Throughout our life together, there was no one better for me than her. I looked at other women, of course. A man is a man, after all. But I never strayed. My conscience is clear. Yes, there were times when I came home drunk, the service dictated its rules. But I never caused a scene or harmed my family. We had our disagreements, as any couple does. But we always found a compromise and quickly made amends. Yes, that's how it was until recently. My Paulina began to change. It seemed to have started long before, but I, cocooned in my happy life, simply didn't notice these changes. Or perhaps I didn't want to notice them. Everything in my life was satisfactory. Meanwhile, my wife was altering even in appearance. Her heels grew higher, skirts and dresses became shorter. Her hairstyles became more glamorous, and makeup entered the picture. I attributed it all to age, what a fool I was. Believing that my wife was clinging to her youth and trying to delay the onset of maturity. Even to myself, I condescendingly joked, thinking, look at her, acting like a young girl. But as it turned out, she was quite serious about it. She started attending various professional development courses, just before retirement, going to seminars, and taking on night shifts. But my head was not yet itching from budding horns. As they say, the husband is always the last to know. Everything for me began and ended at the New Year's corporate party. We were supposed to attend together. I'm not particularly fond of those glamorous gatherings, but this time Paulina persuaded me. As it later turned out, it wasn't without reason. I can't remember why, but I was running late. I called my wife, apologized, and promised to arrive shortly. We were celebrating outside the city at a recreation center. Rooms were even booked for those who wanted to continue the party until morning. I arrived in my car and had no intention of drinking. I do enjoy a drink. I like the process, unhurried and deliberate. With a cigar, quiet conversation with an intellectual companion, sipping alcohol and without the deafening music and hysterical female laughter that had never appealed to me. I parked my car and climbed the snow-covered steps. Warmth and the scent of food hit me in the face. People were having a great time. I had missed the official part and entered right into the heart of the celebration. I scanned the room. Paulina was nowhere to be seen. I spotted her colleague, someone I knew slightly, and made my way toward her, politely weaving my way through the dancers. Paulina's friend, Marina, was energetically dancing with some red-faced fellow, resembling a boletus mushroom. I stood to the side, not to interrupt, and when their lively dance ended, I gently touched the woman on the shoulder. Hello. Where's Paulina? I asked very politely. I'm running late, and I can't seem to find her. I noticed Marina's eyes darting around nervously. She was desperately searching for an answer to my question. Finally, she produced an answer. She was just here. Maybe she went to the ladies' room. Marina was clearly lying, and quite clumsily. I tensed up. Something was amiss here. 
and this amiss applied entirely to my wife. I turned away without listening to Marina further and headed toward the exit. Fate seemed to be guiding me in the right direction. Leaving the noisy hall behind, I ascended to the second floor and slowly walked down the corridor. I had never been to this recreation center and had no idea how things were arranged here, so I walked wherever my eyes took me. Sir, are you looking for someone, a young woman in a white apron, likely a staff member, asked as she held a stack of towels. I'm looking for my wife. I'm running a bit late, I replied with a polite smile. I was away for about half an hour, but I think someone is in room 204, the corridor attendant said, smiling and nodding toward the occupied room. May I take a look? I asked. The woman shrugged. Go ahead. I approached the designated room and cautiously turned the handle. The door yielded, and I slipped inside, trying not to make any noise. Sounds were coming from the room. The door was slightly ajar, and I saw the whole scene. Paulina was on her knees in front of a man I didn't recognize, and she was diligently moving her head. The stranger tilted his head back, closing his eyes, surrendering entirely to the pleasure he was receiving. They were both dressed, except for the man's lowered trousers, which he was holding up with one hand. They were so engrossed in their activity that they didn't notice anything around them. I stood there like a statue, not doing anything. Twenty years ago, I might have reacted with anger and thrown them both out of the window without a second thought, no need for words. But now, all I felt was a deep sense of shame and disgust. I was ashamed of my wife, whom I had loved all my life, and who was betraying me in cold blood and cynicism. At her age to be on her knees. I banged on the door with a deliberate loud bang. The last thing I saw was the man frantically tugging at his fly and pinning his dignity. I heard him moan in pain. I left the room and walked quickly down the hall. The fact that I was no longer married was clear. But I could not calculate my further actions. One thing I knew for sure, I had to get out of here. I was afraid that in anger I could make a mess of things. Paulina, smacking her lips, stood before my eyes. I couldn't even find the words to call her names. Everything I knew was too weak a characterization for my ex-wife. I went back to the hall and sat down at the first table I could find. My legs wouldn't hold up. I decided to recover a little and leave. A few minutes later Paulina's lover came into the hall. He wrinkled with pain and landed not far from me. I am not an infantile institute girl and I have more than one extreme situation under my belt. Gradually, my body began to withdraw. Little by little my head was clearing up. I accepted the situation and began to calculate options for behavior. There was a desire to smash his face. But I dismissed that thought. Nothing would change from the fact that I was going to smash his scoreboard. They'll call the police and send me to jail, and they'll gloat. Well, maybe I'll take my breath away. That's all. It was difficult for me to understand Pauline's behavior and her reaction to the fight. But usually wives are always on the side of lovers. That they were lovers, I had no doubt. There was another important factor. Paulina did everything voluntarily. It's not constructive to have a showdown with Pauline for the public's amusement. All sympathy would be on the poor woman's side. So she got a little naughty, who doesn't? At that moment Pauline appeared in the hall. She absent-mindedly looked around the room. 
Marina immediately jumped up to her. She grabbed her by the elbow and something with heat began to say in her ear. Paulina saw me. She hesitantly moved in my direction, but I stood up and walked to the exit. That's okay, her lover will give her a ride home, or wherever they want her to go. Having thrown on my coat, I descended the stairs and settled behind the wheel. I started the engine and pulled out of the parking lot. Paulina rushed onto the porch and began to shout something. But the engine was roaring, and the windows were closed. So, the woman was yelling in vain. I hadn't even exited the base's gates when my mobile phone came to life. My beloved lit up on the screen. I felt like throwing up. I declined the call, but Paulina continued to call again and again. Finally, I simply turned off the phone. I didn't want to go home and stop to spend the night at a roadside motel. Just the thought of seeing her with her painted lips made me nauseous. No more confrontations. What's done is done. I didn't know how much time the Lord had left for me, but I was determined to spend it without Paulina. No compromises. She had willingly done it all, and from what I could see, with youthful enthusiasm. I didn't want to waste my remaining years on this mess. I tried to reassure myself. You're not the first, you won't be the last. I'll get through somehow. The kids are grown up. Grandchildren? Well, let them figure that out for themselves. One thing was both amusing and embarrassing, at such a mature age, your wife cheats on you. Who could I tell, lest I become a laughing stock? I arrived home in the morning. Paulina was busy in the kitchen, but upon hearing me, she came out into the hallway. Vitalik, have you gone mad? Where have you been? I was worried sick. I got the kids up, called the police, and the morgues. What happened? Why did you run off in front of my colleagues? Paulina bombarded me with so many questions that, for some reason, it made me laugh. It seemed she had no idea that I had seen her playing the flute with a stranger. And all I had seen were her lips. Our boss, Arthur, really wanted to meet you. And you ran away. A respectable man, and you're acting like a kid. Has the rain slipped from your hands? Paulina persisted. Aren't you ashamed? Yes, the best defense is a good offense. Honestly, I felt like punching her lying mouth to shut it forever. But I held back. I was curious about what would happen next. I pushed Paulina aside, walked into the kitchen, and poured myself some coffee. I looked out of the window. The day promised to be sunny. The city was slowly waking up from its nightly slumber. The lights and colorful garlands were being extinguished, gathering strength for New Year's Eve. The streets filled with perpetually rushing cars. The last day of the old year was beginning. Are you even listening to me? Paulina's voice brought me back to reality. I want to invite him to our New Year's celebration. Who is him? I asked, not understanding. Our boss. His wife passed away six months ago, and he's alone now. Let him welcome the new year with us. Paulina beamed like a brass samovar. New Year's is a family holiday. We'll have children and grandchildren. Why on earth do we need your boss here? I decided to tease her a bit. There couldn't possibly be any talk of celebrating the new year together. Don't be selfish. 
He's going through a tough time right now, and he needs our support. Paulina couldn't calm down. Why don't his kids invite him? My phrase sounded ambiguous. Suddenly, I understood. Her lover was none other than the head doctor, Arthur. What a scoundrel. She had no shame, bringing him into my home like this. She wasn't afraid of me or the children. What if the kids know about her adventures? My heart sank at the thought. Weren't those my kids? After what I had seen, I had legitimate doubts. Maybe she had been fooling around behind my back all her life. This thought made me feel sick. In the morning, my son Yuri called a meeting. The subordinates were sluggishly reporting on completed cases, hovering in their thoughts somewhere far away from the chief's office. Yuri took off his glasses and looked at Major Dykovichny with his myopic eyes. What do we have on unidentified corpses? We have information on all but the November 1, Comrade Colonel. The Major reported cheerfully. Well, the one from the accident on the ring road, without documents. Everything was burned in the accident, the gas tank exploded. The body was badly burned, except for the ring, there's no sign of him. It's an expensive ring, platinum with a diamond. He must have been rich. Igor. Yuri looked at Captain Maximov sitting on his right. No one contacted you about a missing person? From the moment of the accident until today, no one. Maybe he was a stranger and got into the car by accident? Maximov lowered his eyes, as if he thought he had something to do with the accident. I see, everyone's thoughts are on the upcoming New Year's Eve. Well, we'll get together after the weekend. Write a report and close the case. Dismissed. The colonel leaned back in his chair. The last day of the passing year was just beginning and did not bode well. Comrade Colonel, allow me a question. Major Dykovichny suddenly raised his voice. Yuri looked questioningly at his colleague. Can we let people go home early? Today is New Year's Eve, after all. Everyone froze and did not hurry to leave the office of the chief. Yuri grinned to himself. Caught them, devils. All right, work today until 16 o'clock. Then only on duty. Colonel smiled. Happy New Year. He sat for a while, gathering his thoughts. Then he dialed his home number. His wife answered at once. Natasha, what time did my mother invite us? He patted the pockets of his tunic in search of cigarettes. As usual, at nine o'clock in the evening. She asked us to bring mineral water and a cake. Natasha was doing something in the kitchen, and Yuri could hear the clinking of dishes. I dropped off the cake yesterday, didn't I? He was surprised. Why the second one? There will be someone else there besides us. Answered his wife. I wonder who? Yuri's mood finally soured. Usually only the closest people gathered for New Year's Eve. His father and his mother, he and his wife, and his sister and her husband. Who else was invited? And why? Ah, uh, okay. I'll be there after four o'clock. I'll buy everything, bye. The colonel's out. Usually at these gatherings he and his father talked about various topics. They couldn't see each other much in everyday life. Work sucked them in. 
But on New Year's Eve, when everyone, tired of the fun, went to bed, he and his father talked until the morning. Since some time, these night conversations on New Year's Eve became, as it were, a ritual of their lives. Yuri loved his father more than his mother. He was even afraid to admit it to himself, all his childhood he spent next to his father in the soldiers' barracks. His father even took him on training exercises, much to his mother's displeasure. He joined the police force on his father's advice. Yuri told his father about his girlfriend before he told his mother. Putting out his cigarette, the colonel dialed his father's number. Strange, his cell phone was off. He dialed his mother. She answered quickly. Hi, mom. Happy New Year. I can't reach my father. Yuri sensed that his mother was in a bad mood. He didn't ask her about it, there was no telling what might have happened. I don't know, his mother answered uncertainly. He'd gone somewhere in the morning. Natasha said that you invited someone else for New Year's Eve. Yuri leaned back in his chair. It will be my boss, Artur Yakovlevich. Mother spoke in a strange, unfamiliar voice. His wife died recently and we've decided to support him. We. Yuri hummed in surprise. And what, the father agreed. His mother mumbled something vague and changed the subject. I asked Natasha to buy something. I know, we'll bring everything, bye. Yuri disconnected. After the conversation with his mother left an unpleasant residue. He pressed the selector and called his deputy. Gradually his work distracted him from unpleasant thoughts. At half past five Yuri arrived home. Having rested after work, he huddled with his wife in the kitchen, then called his children, congratulated them on New Year's Eve and began to get ready for a visit. At exactly nine in the evening, Yuri and Natasha arrived at his parents' apartment. The door was opened by his sister. Come in. We're a little early this time. Julia kissed her brother's neck and hugged Natasha. Her mother came out of the back of the apartment. Hello, son. She hugged Yuri. It seemed to him for a moment that his mother had been crying not long ago. Strange. She and his father rarely quarreled. I don't see daddy. Yuri said in a deliberately cheerful voice, trying to see his father's silhouette in the depths of the hallway. He will be, he will be here later, stuttered the mother. Come in. Natasha and Julia went into the kitchen, while Yuri entered the living room and stopped in surprise at the doorway. At the New Year's table, where his father usually sat, there was an unfamiliar man. For a while, they silently stared at each other. Meet my son, this is Arthur Yakovlevich. Arthur, meet my eldest son, Yuri, his mother said in an overly sweet voice. Yuri looked around. He had never seen his mother like this before. The man stood up and extended his hand. The women and Julia's husband, Dima, entered the room. Everyone started taking their seats at the table. Yuri initially thought that Arthur Yakovlevich would move from his father's place, but he remained at the head of the table. Arthur, pour the drinks. What does everyone want? His mother chirped and began serving salad to the guest. Mom. Where's dad, after all? Shouldn't we wait for him? Yuri asked with bewilderment, not understanding what was happening. Are we not waiting for him? Dad should be coming. Julia declared loudly. 
We'll start without him. Drinks were poured, and everyone picked up their glasses. I propose a toast to our acquaintance. Arthur Yakovlevich unexpectedly spoke up. Everyone drank, except Yuri. He placed his glass on the table and looked intently at his mother. Mom, what's going on? Where's dad, and why is this man making the first toast? Yuri spoke slowly, enunciating each word. His mother blushed and, for some reason, glanced at her daughter. We didn't want to tell you, Julia began, but dad had a fight with mom, got angry, and left. We don't know where he is, and his phone is turned off. Mom, is that true? Yuri shifted his gaze to his mother. Children, your father got something into his head. He said he's going to divorce me after the New Year holidays, his mother wiped away tears with a napkin. Yura, let your parents sort it out themselves. Natasha interjected. After all, it's still New Year's. What do you mean, got angry? He's your husband, after all. Yuri felt his anger rising. Mom, you're not telling me something. Yura, don't ruin our holiday, his sister chimed in. Dad won't disappear, he'll come back. Yuri sensed the thinly veiled contempt in Julia's words directed at their father. He stood up. I don't know what's going on with you, but I believe that without Dad, it's not a holiday. We're leaving. He turned to his wife. Natasha, let's go. Yura, wait. It's not nice. What will our guest think? His mother pleaded with folded hands. Arthur Yakovlevich sat in silence, pretending that these family disputes didn't concern him. But Yuri had already stepped into the corridor and was helping his wife put on her coat. Julia joined their mother. You've ruined everything, she hissed angrily. You're just like dad. You don't want to understand anything. Yuri didn't understand what he had ruined, but he knew one thing for sure, you couldn't celebrate the new year without your father. I knew that Paulina would resist with all her might, but she wouldn't vacate the apartment quickly. At least, because she had nowhere else to go. Perhaps to her lover's place? But even that wasn't certain. I needed to think about where to stay for the first while. I had a house in the village, left to me by my grandmother. However, I hadn't been there in a long time, and its condition was uncertain. It might have fallen into disrepair without proper upkeep. There was only one way to find out, rent a place for a couple of weeks and deal with problems as they arose. I parked and started browsing apartment listings on my iPhone. Money wasn't an issue, so I didn't dwell on the prices. I considered calling the kids, but then I thought it would be best not to upset them just before the New Year's holidays. Paulina had stirred up this mess, she could deal with it herself. In any case, the kids would eventually find out what had happened, and how they take it was up to them. Besides, I felt embarrassed about talking to the kids. Just think about it, their old folks were getting divorced. Well, not exactly old folks, but still. However, it didn't seem like Paulina was bothered by such trivial matters. She had found love, even if it was at a mature age. There was nothing to be done about it. Fight for the family? Why and for what? Especially when it seemed like there was no family left. Finding an apartment wasn't too difficult. I found a suitable option and called the landlord. Within an hour, I was heading up to the third floor of a five-story brick building located almost in the city centre.
The two-bedroom apartment turned out to be cozy and warm. I paid for two weeks upfront, promised not to host any parties, and received a set of keys. After taking a shower, I sat down to think about what to do next. Honestly, I couldn't come up with any ideas. My mind was blank. I spent some time just sitting in the apartment, and then decided I needed to occupy myself with something. After all, our problems usually arise from idleness. Maybe I should go to the village and check out grandma's old house. A mischievous thought crossed my mind. Why not? There was nothing to do in the city, and the prospects for celebrating the new year were unclear. The phone was disconnected anyway, and they would probably find out about everything sooner or later. How they would take it was their business. And it wasn't the most dignified thing to deal with in my old age. Well, not exactly old age, but still. Although, it didn't seem like Paulina was too concerned about such matters. She had found love, even if it was at a mature age. There was nothing to be done about it. Should I fight for the family? Why and for what? Especially when it seemed like there was no family left. So, it was decided. I changed into winter camouflage, stopped by a store to buy some groceries for the road, and decided to grab a couple of bottles of vodka as well, you never know, they might come in handy. In the car, I had a good hunting knife made from a German bayonet from the war. Those old blades were well made, unlike modern bayonets. They were sturdy and reliable. I didn't have any other weapons, and what for, anyway? The village wasn't far, about 120 kilometers or so. I turned on the GPS, fueled up, and half an hour later, I was on the ring road. I drove along the highway, glancing around. The winter sun was shining brightly, but the approach of evening was palpable. Winter days were short, and it was already December, the gloomiest month of the year. Along the way, I picked up a hitchhiker. I usually didn't like giving rides to strangers, but today, after the morning's nerve-wracking encounter, I felt like exchanging a few words with someone. When I saw an old man by the side of the road, I braked and stopped. Where are you headed? I asked, rolling down the passenger side window. Just down the highway, about five kilometers to the junction, the old man replied in a surprisingly spry voice. I opened the door, inviting him in. We drove in silence for a while before the old man broke it. Are you going far? he asked. I'm going to Verbke. My grandmother used to live there. After she passed away, the house remained. I'm thinking of taking a look at it, I explained. I see. You're not familiar with the place, are you? The old man grinned. No, not really, I replied. Those aren't good lands, he warned. Keep an eye out. Are you baptized? Yes, I am baptized, and I even have a cross. I felt the need to justify myself. That's good, the old man said with another grin. For some reason, he switched to the formal, you. We didn't say much more and soon reached the junction. The highway continued straight ahead, while a snow-covered dirt road branched off to the right. The junction is here, the old man pointed towards the forest. You're going right, and I'm going straight. It's about 20 kilometers to the city from here. We shook hands, and the old man stepped out. I turned right, heading towards the village. I wasn't in a hurry, and after about half an hour, the road disappeared into a dense forest.
Twilight was slowly descending, and the trees lining the road cast long shadows, making the dusk even denser. The road appeared abandoned, and it seemed like no one had driven on it for a long time. There were no traces of tractors or cars. My SUV was plowing through the loose, not-too-deep snow at a steady third gear, leaving tire tread marks behind. The temperature had dropped. I checked the outside temperature sensor. Minus 22 degrees Celsius. Well, it was understandable, it was getting closer to evening. But I intended to reach my destination before dark. A couple of kilometers later, I felt the need to use the restroom. I pulled over and got out of the car. It was unusually quiet, but for some reason, this silence felt eerie. Well, the old man had scared me a bit. I even shivered. Suddenly, I felt like someone was watching me from behind. I don't know where that feeling came from, but a shiver ran down my spine. I had been to war, and I had learned to trust my instincts. Moreover, my intuition had saved my life on several occasions. After finishing quickly, I jumped back into the car and pulled away from the spot, not in a hurry, though. Maybe it was just my imagination running wild. The old man had probably planted these thoughts in my head. Just in case, I retrieved a knife from the glove compartment and a wrench from under the seat. I turned on the headlights and looked around attentively. It would be completely dark soon, and I couldn't risk not identifying the source of danger. There was one hope, that the night would be bright. After all, tonight was the full moon. Suddenly, out of the corner of my eye, I caught a movement. A vague, dark figure flashed on the right. Something or someone had stopped lurking and was now moving parallel to the road through the forest. I increased my speed, risking driving off the road. Then, I saw that something large and black had emerged from the trees and was now openly chasing me. It seemed like I was being hunted. I increased the speed. Tree trunks of fir and pine trees flickered by on either side. The car's headlights snatched snow-covered bushes from the darkness on the turns. I glanced in the rearview mirror. Something enormous, merging with the night's darkness, was relentlessly pursuing me. Suddenly, the car skidded. I turned the steering wheel, trying to stabilize the vehicle, but the Toyota was already flying into a snowdrift. Impact! I struck the steering wheel with my face at full force. Even the seatbelts didn't help. Why didn't the airbag deploy? I thought, losing consciousness. I woke up from jolts. Someone was rocking the car. I tried to see what was happening, but the windows were fogged up, and all I could make out was a huge, blurry silhouette. The creature didn't stop its efforts to reach me. I pulled out a knife and pushed open the door. Whoever or whatever it was, I intended to defend my life. To my surprise, the door wasn't jammed, and I managed to get out of the car. The moonlight illuminated the surroundings, but the car was still under the trees, and I couldn't see the attacker clearly. I tried to circle the car, but I slipped and fell, hitting my head on the bumper. The knife slipped out of my hand and into the snowdrift. It's over, I thought as I saw the creature lunging at me with its gaping mouth and huge teeth. The beast stuck out its tongue and began licking my face. I heard a whimper. Was it a dog? An enormous, black, shaggy dog. I tried to stand, but the dog held me down with its front paws on my shoulders. Finally, I managed to break free. The huge dog wagged its tail wildly, still attempting to lick my face. 
Hysterical laughter overcame me. Almost automatically, I searched for the fallen knife, got back into the car, and tried to start the engine. The car started without any issues. I engaged the four-wheel drive and slowly drove onto the road. Without turning off the engine, I rummaged in my bag, pulled out a piece of sausage, and handed it to the beast. Here you go, buddy. You should have seen how it ate. The sausage disappeared instantly into its jaws. Hungry eyes stared at me questioningly. I gave it the whole sausage and half a loaf of bread. It all vanished in an instant. It was clear that the dog hadn't eaten in a long time. After swallowing the food, it wagged its tail. What was I going to do with it? I stood by the car for a moment, then opened the rear door. The dog didn't move. I understood. I opened the front door, and the dog quickly climbed onto the front seat, resting its front paws on the car floor. I sat down beside it. All right, let's go. I turned on the radio and slowly drove forward, paying close attention to the road. It was surrounded by woods on all sides, and as I went further, it became narrower. Soon, branches from bushes on the side of the road began to drum against the car. I reached a fork in the road. Which way to turn? They say if you don't know the way, turn left. So, I turned left. It was already 5pm, and I kept driving down a seemingly endless road. Another fork, I turned left again. Almost on autopilot. It seemed like the forest was thinning out. Indeed, on both sides of the road, there were snow-covered fields or gardens. The headlights revealed twisted houses in the darkness. It looked like a village. Had I arrived? Soon, I was driving down a snow-covered village street. Dark, snow-covered ruins stood around me. No lights in the windows. It seemed like nobody lived here anymore. One of those, dead, villages. Suddenly, my car's engine sputtered and then completely died. The radio went silent too. I turned off the lights, fearing I might drain the battery, and grabbed a flashlight, zipped up my jacket, and got out of the car. It was pitch dark all around. Only vague outlines of houses ahead. Utter silence. No barking dogs, no human chatter, none of the sounds typical of a live village in the evening. Not a single lit window. I turned on my phone. No signal. Who would have doubted it? Just as expected. Wilderness. Then I saw a glimmer of light in the farthest hut, almost at the edge of the forest. I stopped. Could it be that someone lives in my grandmother's house? I released the dog. It approached the door and waited expectantly. I noticed the porch covered in snow. Smoke was coming from the chimney. It had to be someone's home, after all. I knocked on the door. After a minute, a bolt was thrown, and the door creaked open. In front of me stood an elderly man in a wolfskin vest, worn over a red checkered shirt. Without showing any surprise at my appearance, he made an inviting gesture. Come on in, don't freeze outside. I let the dog in, closed the door behind me, and stepped inside. An old table pushed against the wall. On it, a kerosene lamp with a burning wick. In the dim light, I saw an old man sitting by the stove, tossing a few logs into the fire. It seemed like he could be the brother of my fellow traveller, they looked so similar. Take a seat, don't stand there. 
The old man nodded towards an old armchair opposite the stove. Would you like some tea? I nodded. The man walked over to the table, poured a thick, hot tea from a sooty aluminum kettle into a chipped porcelain cup, and handed it to me. From herbs, aromatic. He extended a full cup to me. I took a sip. It was slightly sweet with a hint of tang, warming my esophagus and stomach. The dog lay down on the floor not far from the stove and rested its head on its paws. I have some food in my car, maybe I should go get it. I tried to stand up. Don't worry about it. We've had enough tea. The old man poked the logs with a poker, and a shower of sparks shot up into the stove's vault. We'll feed your dog as well. I felt so comfortable, as if I had spent half my life in that house. With every sip of tea, my fatigue seemed to fade away, and my worries evaporated somewhere. Everything around me became familiar and homely. Well, have you warmed up? The old man sat down on a stool opposite me. The blizzard will be here soon, the snowstorms are not far off. The roads will be impassable. His raspy voice was soothing and, at the same time, filled with a sense of calm. Suddenly, I wanted to tell a stranger about my life. About my misfortunes. About my wife's betrayal. We sat there for a long time. I spoke, and he listened attentively. Occasionally, he nodded in agreement, made thoughtful noises, or stroked his grey beard. I told him everything. About my life. About my father, my mother, my wife, and my children. When I finished, we sat in silence for a long while. Then he poured me more tea and took the first sip from his own cup. Yes, fate has put you through quite a ringer. You spend your whole life chasing happiness, but not down the right path. So here you are, not loved then and not loved now. Only you don't notice it. You've locked yourself in, hidden away like a badger, with only your nose poking out. The old man took another sip from his cup. Look around you, and you'll find your happiness. And remember, if one door closes, look for another nearby and don't be afraid to open it. His words sounded as if they came from a distance. My eyes grew heavy, and I unknowingly drifted off to sleep. I woke up to the sound of the radio. I was sitting in the car, my head resting on the headrest. My back and legs were stiff. I looked at my watch. Nine in the morning. So, was it all just a dream? The old man, the fragrant tea, the heartfelt conversation. I remembered every word he had said, and the taste of his tea still lingered in my mouth. It couldn't be. But how did I end up in the car? I had no answer to that question. I turned my head to the right. A huge black dog was looking at me with greenish-yellow wolf-like eyes. I needed to give her a name. In my distant childhood, my grandfather had a massive German shepherd named Akbar. I looked at my passenger again. Let's call her Akbar. I patted the dog's neck and turned the ignition key. The engine purred smoothly and peacefully. The car slowly moved along the snow-covered street. I looked around carefully, trying to find that very house where I had spent the night in conversation with the old man. But all I saw along the street were partially collapsed huts, blackened with age. Of course, it was just a dream. Fatigue, worries, and yesterday's troubles had taken their toll. I turned the car around and headed back to the city. I was already in the suburbs when the phone rang. Dad, 
Where are you? My son's voice was strained, are you all right? I'm fine, Yura, I'm in town. I was really ashamed that I made him worry. Where did you spend the night, tell me the address and I'll come. I felt relief in my son's voice. I texted him the address and drove to my temporary shelter. Trying not to make noise and not to attract the attention of the neighbors, the dog and I quickly went up to the third floor. Put the kettle on. I prepared sandwiches. It was going to be a tough conversation with my son. I had already bathed the dog and showered myself when the doorbell rang. I pulled on a jersey, put on jeans and went to open the door. Yura stood on the doorstep. Hi, Dad. Happy New Year. We hugged. That's not a bad place to be. My son was curious about my place. Who's that? Yura froze. Akbar appeared on the threshold of the room. He did not bark at the stranger, only the corners of his lips lowered threateningly, revealing huge fangs. Akbar. My own. I've never had a dog and didn't know what commands to say. I just said the first thing that came to mind. But the dog seemed to understand. He wagged his tail and stepped aside. Great. Said my son. I've been dreaming of such a thing since I was a kid. Well, father, you're crazy. Soon we were sitting at the coffee table and eating breakfast, occasionally feeding Akbar. Dad, what happened between you and mom? Yura finally asked. I waited for this question and told him everything. What to hide, it wasn't me who pleased Artur Yakovlevich with a prolonged blowjob. Yura was silent for a long time. It was hard for him to hear such things about his mother. I sat without disturbing my son. I understood his condition perfectly well. The person he idolized, his mother, turned out to be a traitor. His heart was breaking. But he must make his own decision. Yura. I began. Practically nothing has changed for you. She will still be your mother. After all, it's my problems with her. Everyone has the right to happiness, even the kind your mother chose. I must talk to her. Yura stood up. I want to clarify everything to the very end. The sun left. I sat for a while longer and decided to sleep. Today is a day off, so I will be able to file for divorce only tomorrow. I was awakened by a phone call. It was Paulina. Well, I'll have to pick up the phone. I can't hide forever. Vitalik. Paulina's voice was vibrating with emotion. We need to talk. Do not be a boy. The situation needs to be clarified. I had Yura. What did you say to him? Are you trying to break up my son and me? Come home. Stop running. Paulina hung up. She's right, something has to be done. This can't go on much longer. I don't have much time to waste on someone who is essentially a stranger to me. When I entered the apartment, I immediately realized that Paulina was not alone. Julia's fur coat and someone's cashmere coat were hanging on the rack. Could it be that Paulina brought her lover home? My heart clenched, but instead of pain, a cold rage started to build inside me. Fine, let's see how things unfold. Paulina came out into the corridor. You're just in time. Come in, we'll have dinner. 
She looked at me expectantly, obviously waiting for my reaction to her guest's presence. Without saying anything, I walked into the room. Sitting on my favorite couch was a familiar figure who grinned impudently and looked at me. Meet Vitalik, this is Arthur Yakovlevich. Arthur, meet Vitalik, my husband. Paulina announced obsequiously. The man stood up and extended his hand to me. I put my hands in my pockets to keep them from trembling. Arthur stood there with his hand outstretched for a while, then shrugged and sat down. Julia entered the room. Hello. Are you worn out? She looked at me contemptuously, as if I were covered in filth. I noticed that she didn't call me, Dad. She spoke to me not as a father, but as a stranger. I stared at Paulina intently, and my wife averted her gaze. Could it be that my worst fears were coming true? I took a seat. Let's have dinner. Paulina hurriedly said. Let's get to the point, I didn't come here to eat. You said we were going to have a conversation between us, but you've assembled a whole congress. I was getting tired of this charade. This conversation concerns all of us, Vitalik, Arthur unexpectedly interjected. It's not as simple as you think. Vitalik, calm down and listen, Paulina pleaded. I've known Arthur for almost 30 years. We were friends even before I met you. Fate separated us, and we met again when I was already married, Paulina began. She hesitated for a moment. It's very difficult for me to talk about this, but Julia is his daughter. Tears welled up in Paulina's eyes. I was already working at the hospital when Arthur was appointed chief physician. He helped me, and I became the head nurse. He always supported me. But I got tired of living a double life. I wanted to tell you everything, Paulina hesitated again. But I don't want to lose you. We've been together for over 40 years, and you've become like family to me. But I can't sever ties with Arthur either, especially since we have a daughter together. Vitalik, let's act constructively. Nothing will change in our relationship. I still love you the same way. And I'll only be with Arthur two days a week. You won't even notice. Everything will remain the same between us. I sat there, stunned. I hadn't expected this turn of events. Paulina's audacity even took my breath away. Does she seriously think I'll agree to share her with this smirking scoundrel? Three pairs of eyes looked at me questioningly. Then Arthur began to speak. I sleep with Paulina, your wife. You need to accept it. One way or another, she's already mine. Especially since she wants it herself, he looked at the blushing Paulina. I've prepared some documents. This is a divorce petition to the court. You see, your wife has already signed it. This is a court order giving you 24 hours to vacate this apartment, even though it's technically in your name. This is a statement to the police and the prosecutor's office about domestic violence. You, it turns out, are a family tyrant and an alcoholic who regularly beats his wife. Be aware, there are witnesses. He gave a meaningful look to Julia. He rustled some papers and continued. Do you understand where this is headed? I'll bury you in lawsuits that you won't be able to fight back against. You'll surrender eventually when you're left penniless and can't even afford the worst lawyer in the world. And you know what? I'll be sleeping with Paulina all this time. Yes, you raised my daughter. But where will you go? 
Arthur demonstratively embraced Julia. My heart ached. There was no denying the wickedness and cruelty of my own daughter. So let's just maintain the status quo. Let's leave everything as it is. I'll live with Paulina on weekends, and you can be with her the rest of the days if she wants, of course. Just like it has been for the past six months. Why stir the waters and agitate everyone around us? Paulina has made you a reasonable offer. I listened to his monologue without uttering a word. Let's face it, if you were the one she needed, I wouldn't be here right now, would I? Just accept it and agree with your wife. I felt the anger coursing through my veins, gradually infiltrating my brain. I was only afraid of one thing, that I might lose control of myself, and then something irreversible might happen. Paulina's lover grinned triumphantly, apparently not noticing the transformation that had come over me. I stood up. I've heard you, I said through gritted teeth. The rage was boiling in my throat. I took a step towards Arthur, who had also risen from the couch. Without any warning, like in a fight, I struck him in the jaw with my right hand. There was a distinct sound of a bone breaking, and the knocked-out teeth rolled across the floor. Her lover fell to the floor, a look of utter amazement on his damaged face. I lifted him by the collar and delivered another blow. Arthur doubled over, then fell to the ground, whimpering. Someone behind me squealed. I turned around and saw Paulina and Julia frozen in horror. They had never seen me like this before. You probably don't know me well despite all these years together, I said, glaring at Paulina with venom in my eyes. I'll never share my woman with a stupid bastard who thinks he's the lord of the world just because he once mistook two cherries for steel balls. Maybe you'll want to call the police? Go ahead. They might arrest me. Or maybe not. Perhaps they'll release me on bail. Then we'll have another conversation. But with much graver consequences. I continued to stare at Paulina with a snake-like gaze. You should be prepared for anything when you sleep with another man's wife, I added, kicking Arthur on the floor. I'll be back tomorrow, and God forbid I find you here. I stepped over the fallen lover on the floor and left the apartment. The only thing I regretted was that I hadn't crushed his balls. I drove down the dimly lit street. I was starting to let go, but the rage was still in my throat. I don't know, maybe I shouldn't have banged up my wife's lover. He told me the truth. If you were the one she wanted, I wouldn't be here right now. According to him, I'm not what my wife needed. I wonder how long. Judging by the daughter they have in common, it's been 30 years. Julia. I loved her as much as my son. And now this. Not my daughter. How quickly she changed her shoes. I remembered her cold, indifferent eyes full of unconcealed contempt speech, well, a little easier from the fact that Yura is my son. Although. Anything can happen. I won't be surprised at anything. It was snowing. The road was quickly powdered, and I slowed down so that the car wouldn't skid. Suddenly, out of the corner of my eye, I saw a hunched figure rush under the wheels of my car from the snowdrift on the right. I sharply pressed the brake pedal, simultaneously turning the steering wheel. The car spun around, and its left side hit a snowdrift over the curb. The engine stalled. I sat still for a while, wondering what had happened. There was no impact, so I didn't hit anyone. That's all I needed right now. 
I opened the door and pulled myself between the car and the snowdrift. There was a woman lying in the roadway. Her bare feet were sticking out from under her coat, wearing men's shoes. A sportswoman? In such a frost with bare feet. I had a bad thought. I helped the woman up. Are you all right? Are you hurt anywhere? I tried to look into her eyes. Let me take you to the hospital. The woman twitched weakly and tried to pull herself out of my arms. There's nothing wrong with me. Let me go. Only now I realized that she was quite young and pretty. But not well groomed. Messy hair, scared eyes. It looked like she'd run away from someone and that someone was chasing her. As if to confirm my thoughts, a man shouted at me. Anya! Where are you? You better come back. I saw a big carcass climbing over the snowdrift. Ah, there you are. Bitch, you got a boyfriend already? A man in his thirties, sliding his soles on the ice covered with snow, briskly headed in my direction. Now I'm going to beat you, you freaks, looks like the guy didn't have enough words to express his indignation at his woman's behavior. Not enough vocabulary. The woman shrieked and broke away from me and tried to run away, but slipped and fell on the road. The man was almost to me. He hadn't yet decided who to start reprisals with. He stopped for a moment and rushed to the fallen woman. It's the worst thing in the world to get involved in someone else's family disputes. I didn't want to be the last one in this quarrel, so I shrugged my shoulders and went to the car. Behind me I heard a thud and a woman's moan. I turned around. The unknown Anya was lying on the ice, picking up her knees and covering her face with her hands. The man was kicking her puny body with all his might. The woman didn't scream, only moaned long, hoarse moans. I came back and pushed the man away. Stop it. You'll kill her, you fool. The guy turned back to me. Ah, lover boy. He punched me in the nose. I felt blood running down my lips. The Terminator decided to build on his success, and I saw another spit flying towards my face. I batted my hand away and hit his forehead with my open palm, not hard. The man froze for a moment, then fell soundlessly onto his back and fell silent. I helped the woman up. Should we go to the hospital? I asked again, supporting her under my arm. No, don't. The woman took a couple of steps and fell. I barely had time to pick her up. I carried her in my arms to the emergency room of the hospital and handed her over to the doctors. I told the doctor on duty what happened, but I guess he didn't believe me. I left my cell phone and left. Late at night, Yuri called me. Dad. I was talking to mom. That guy, her Arthur, was with her. He was sitting next to her, and she was holding his hand. Can you imagine, holding his hand? She told me everything. About Julia not being your daughter, and that she's been sleeping with this Arthur for a long time. She said she loves you too and a lot of other stuff. She asked to talk to you and persuade you to leave things as they are. Then her sister came and said a lot of things too. Yuri fell silent. And what about you? I didn't want to push him towards any decision. He had to decide for himself. I don't have a mother and sister anymore. I don't want to see or hear from them again. It seemed like Yuri even choked up.
Rest, I'll call you tomorrow. The next day, I was awakened by the doorbell. Rubbing my eyes, I went to the door and turned the key. Vitalik Zaretsky. A young police sergeant stared at me sternly. Yes, what happened? I asked. Take your identification documents with you and come with us, the sergeant said, holding the door with his hand. It seemed I hadn't managed to convince Arthur that my intentions were serious. I dialed a familiar number. A woman, probably a receptionist, answered. Hello. May I speak to Dmitry Dmitrievich? This is Zaretsky calling, I said, holding the phone with my shoulder while putting on jeans. I'm sorry. He's in a meeting right now. What can I pass on to him? The receptionist's voice remained impassive. Tell him I've been detained by the police. All right, I'll relay the message, the woman disconnected. The investigator is currently busy, you'll have to wait, the sleepy lieutenant nodded to his assistant. Please follow me, the grumpy sergeant led me. The door to the cell closed behind me with a clang. I sat down on a bench bolted to the floor, leaned against the wall, and closed my eyes. I didn't know how long the proceedings would take. However, as soon as something was resolved in my fate, I would immediately file for a divorce. I'd transfer the apartment to my eldest grandson and leave the city. I had enough money to get by for the time being. As for the future, I thought about Akbar. Yuri would take care of him. I drifted off without realizing it. I woke up when the door to the cell slammed shut. The same stern sergeant escorted me to the investigator. What's your relationship with Anya Golikova? The investigator asked without looking up from the pile of papers. Who is she? I inquired. Yesterday evening, you brought her to the city hospital's emergency room with moderately severe bodily injuries. The investigator finally raised his eyes to me. I realized that he was referring to the woman I had taken to the hospital. The attending doctor called the police and provided us with your information and phone number, suspecting your involvement in assaulting this woman. When it seems like something is wrong, they call the police, I smirked. It was a relief to know it wasn't Arthur. That was a good thing. I found the woman injured on the road. She was beaten up badly, so I drove her to the hospital. What does she say? Nothing yet. She underwent surgery, and she's still asleep after the anesthesia, the investigator rearranged some papers. A broken rib punctured her lung. I shrugged. So, am I supposed to sit here until she wakes up? I asked irritably. You'll have to. We need to get to the bottom of this, the investigator pressed a button, summoning the guard. At that moment, the phone on the desk rang. The major listened to someone's report for a long time, occasionally glancing at me. Then he carefully hung up the phone. The victim came to her senses. The previous day, she had been beaten by her roommate. She tried to run away from him, but he caught her and continued to torture her. You got here just in time. I have no complaints. The guard escorted me to the guardroom and I got my property. But no sooner had I signed for it than the door slammed behind me and a familiar, superior voice said irritably, Call the head of the department. Quickly. I turned around and saw Police General Belove himself. A nervous Lieutenant Colonel popped up from somewhere. Comrade Lieutenant General, he tried to report, but the General interrupted him. 
What's going on here? What a mess. Where's Colonel Zaretsky? The general's roar echoed throughout the department. What colonel? Stammering babbled the head of the department. Now I'll clarify. I realized that it was time to rescue the lieutenant colonel and gently touched the general's shoulder. I've already been released. Everything is fine, everything is sorted out. I said calmly, trying not to irritate the general. Wait, I'm busy right now. The general continued to stare at the lieutenant colonel. Then he turned sharply to me. Is that you? Have you been released? In the voice of the head of the department was genuine surprise. I told you, everything has been sorted out. Don't scare the good people. I smiled. How about some tea? Caused the voice of the head of the department. By lunchtime I was home. I was met by a happy Akbar. After meeting with General Belove, my former subordinate, my mood had improved. I didn't want to eat, the head of the department treated us not only to tea, but also to sandwiches with caviar and sausage. Of course he did. It is not every day that the head of the regional police department comes to visit. The lieutenant colonel offered us some cognac as well. The general drank, and I politely declined. There were other things to do. Yura didn't know anything about my detention. That's good. He didn't need any more trouble. I could rely on my connections for now. After feeding Akbar, I went to the courthouse. I wrote a divorce petition, handed it over to the clerk's office and, after a few words with the clerk, went outside. Five o'clock in the evening. Suddenly I remembered the woman who had been beaten up. I wondered how she was doing. I stopped by the supermarket bought some fruit, a good sausage, bread and a couple of juice packets. Half an hour later I was at the hospital. I remembered the victim's name, Golikova. At the information desk I found out which room she was in and, having put on a robe, I went to the elevators. Suddenly Paulina jumped out from around the corner. Strange, she works in another hospital. Why are you here? Frightened she said. I vacated the apartment. I realized that there was a lover lying here and Pauline thought that I was going to kill him. Where are the keys? I asked dryly. I threw them in the mailbox. Paulina stammered. Talik. Let's talk calmly. I'm begging you. Pauline, there's nothing to talk about, you've already told me everything, and I've told you everything. I didn't want to start from the beginning. I'm very sorry for the way things turned out. Pauline lowered her head, trying not to look me in the eye. I was wrong. I, I didn't think it would turn out this way. She looked up, her eyes filled with tears. It's too late for regrets. You can't get the past back. I sighed. What was happening reminded me of a scene from a bad melodrama. But we have children, grandchildren. We've been together for so many years. Pauline clung to words like a drowning man to a straw. You made your own choice. You found someone else and wanted to force me to put up with your amorous antics. I looked at my watch. It was time to say goodbye. None of this made sense. One more thing. Don't call me Talik. That's what my beloved wife called me. But she died 30 years ago. But I love you. 
Pauline tried to take my hand. I don't believe it. That's no way to love. Goodbye. I cautiously entered the room. A young woman with a bandaged head was lying motionless, covered by a sheet. When she heard me enter, she slowly turned her head in my direction. Is that you? She whispered faintly. Thank you. I put the groceries on the nightstand. At that moment, a nurse entered the room. Are you a relative? She asked. Not really, just an acquaintance. I didn't know how to answer correctly. The nurse looked at the patient. The head of the department wants to talk to you. She nodded towards the door. Have a seat. A handsome man in an unbuttoned robe nodded me to a chair. We've done everything we can, but the patient needs another lung operation. The sooner the better. So what's the deal? Do it. I shrugged. There are two problems. She has a very rare blood type and we don't have it right now. We called the blood transfusion station, but they don't have it either. We have to look in another area, and that takes time. The doctor turned over some paper. Second. He continued. The surgery itself costs money. Plus rehabilitation. How much? I asked. The man wrote the amount on a piece of calendar paper and turned to me. That's a lot. That's almost a third of my entire savings. I don't know this woman at all, I've seen her twice and not for a long time. What about her husband? We tried to contact him, but he's nowhere to be found. They're not even married, they just live together. So there's no point in expecting money from him. The doctor sighed. And the woman is young, she should live. I sat there thinking. Yes, I'm in trouble. No relatives. I'm sorry. She's from an orphanage. No parents, no relatives. What blood type do you need? I asked. The doctor told me. It's my blood type. Do you need a lot? I stood up. Do the operation, I'll pay all the expenses. Three months passed. I periodically came to the hospital, helping to take care of the patient. The operation was successful, and the woman recovered quickly. A young body. I took Anya to the park in a chair. Then I helped her learn to walk again. Finally, the day came when she was discharged. Where can I take you? Do you have anyone close to you? The woman cried. It's understandable. She must have been dreading this day. Okay, let's go to my place. Okay. I took her few belongings and helped her to the car. I put her in a spare room of my large apartment. Soon Anna finally recovered and began to help me with the household chores. She even tried to get a job, but I held her back. Not now. Too little time had passed since the surgery. Akbar quickly made friends with my tenant and accompanied her on walks in the park. I was calm, with such a bow she was not afraid of anyone now. So we lived like neighbors. Anna was 32 years old. She was good enough for me, except as a daughter. I had no plans for her and could not be. She lived and lived. Pauline lived with her daughter and still did not leave attempts to return to me. 
Even though we were already divorced, she would not marry her lover. I never spoke to my ex-daughter. She seemed to have cut me out of her life forever. Several times my son-in-law called and tried to apologize in a guilty voice. Yura and Natasha often visited me. The grandchildren didn't forget. But only Yurin's. Julia forbade her children to communicate with me. Time passed and one May evening a crying Paulina came to me. Will you let me in? She asked, standing on the threshold of the apartment. Come into the kitchen. I stepped aside to let her in. I put the kettle on. At that time Anna came into the kitchen. When she saw Paulina, she immediately disappeared. It seemed to me that in her eyes flashed jealousy. What happened? With your lover quarreled? I asked coldly. Pauline burst into tears. Julia is bad. She's in intensive care. She needs a bone marrow transplant. Paulina sobbed even harder. What's this got to do with me? She has a loving father. I shrugged. My ex-daughter's problems didn't concern me. We took the tests. Arto is not her father. Julia, like Yura, has your blood type. You and Julia are 100% compatible. You're her biological father. Paulina's sliding to the floor. Vitalik, save her. I pray to God. Paulina knelt down in front of me. She's your daughter. She hurt you very badly, but it's your child. I remember Julia's contemptuous grin and her embrace with Arto Yakovlevic. Paulina, you did everything you could to tear our family apart. You took my daughter away from me. In fact, you almost destroyed me. If it weren't for Yura, I don't know what would have happened to me. I spoke looking into the eyes of a kneeling Paulina. And now you come to me and say that you made a mistake in your calculations. It turns out that my daughter is mine after all. And when I find out about it, I should jump with happiness and run to save her. Remember, I don't have a daughter, and I don't think I ever did. The one you're trying to pass off as my daughter is just as traitorous as you are, if not worse. I've turned to the window. So fuck you all. I don't want to see you again. Any questions for Papa Arthur? No, you can't do this. Without this surgery, she's gonna die. Vitalik, wake up. In tears, Paulina was already screaming. Go away. I've told you everything. This is not my business. I left the kitchen. Anya slipped past me. I saw how she helped Paulina to get up, how she gave her water. They talked about something for a while, probably Anya was trying to comfort Paulina. Then my ex left. You know, I didn't abuse Pauline. I didn't take pleasure in killing her with words. I just told her what she wanted me to do by cheating on me with Arthur. The daughter is not mine, she has a father. Yura arrived in the evening. We sat in the kitchen for a long time. He told me about his sister. Her condition was very serious. If we don't operate soon, it could end very badly. Daddy, I've been examined. For medical reasons, I can't be a donor. It's almost impossible to find another one. Yura sighed. I could see he felt sorry for his sister. But he didn't ask me for anything. After a pause, I said. 
Yura, I'm going away for a couple weeks. Look after Anya and Akbar. I'll be far away and there will be no communication. Yura looked at me questioningly. I spread my hands. Dmitry Dmitrievich asked me. Yura nodded understandingly. I carefully sat down in the driver's seat. My back still hurt, but it was tolerable. The doctors had warned me that my back would be sore for a long time after the operation. All the way home I pondered my next steps. My life was on pause. And I didn't know which way to go from here. I no longer had a family. Yura's on his own. But what about Anya? She has no one. How will she be without a place to live and without money? My cell phone rang. Paulina. What does she want again? I'm calling to tell you. You bastard. Only a scoundrel would refuse to help his daughter. You're dead to me. Do you hear me? Arthur found a donor for Julie and she's already been operated on. And now you have to live with it. She hung up. I was even relieved. I was finally rid of the ballast. You're not going to tell them anything? Yura exclaimed indignantly. No. But why, you saved Julia's life. Yura even blushed with resentment for me. Paulina also managed to call him, and he immediately came to me. Yura, no matter what I say, she's my daughter. I never doubted it. Unlike her mother. I spoke with absolutely no emotion. So I did what a father should do. This has nothing to do with resentment. I'm asking you to keep this between us. Neither Paulina nor your sister must know anything. A month later I exchanged the apartment. I gave the two-room apartment to my grandson and the one-room apartment to Anya. I opened a bank account in her name and put half my money in it. We are responsible for those we tame. Anya sobbed, saying goodbye to me, probably she imagined her future life differently. But my conscience was clear, I did not promise her anything and did not give her any hopes. She is a young woman and will still find her happiness. True, lately I began to think of her more and more often. But nothing, loneliness and hard work cure the soul. I packed my belongings, took Akbar and left for an abandoned village. I had plans to repair my grandmother's house and settle forever in the wilderness, on the edge of a huge reserve. Another door was open, and I stepped boldly onto a new road. Comma. I never saw Paulina or Julia again. Their further life did not concern me. Pauline was seized with noble anger at her ex-husband. He thought he was the center of the earth. We did without him. Thanks to Arthur. If it hadn't been for his connections, things might have ended badly. But thank God, Julia's being discharged tomorrow. Another month of rehabilitation and my daughter will be on her feet. True, we had to pay good money for a donor. But health is worth money. Pauline was walking down the hospital corridor when she saw that the office of the head of the neurosis department was not locked. Apparently Nikolai Grigorievich had gone somewhere urgently, that he even forgot to close the office. Paulina stopped and without thinking slipped inside. She knew where the case histories were kept, so she found the right folder almost immediately. She wanted to know the name of the donor who had made Julia survive. When she opened the folder and found the name of the man who had saved her daughter, she couldn't believe her eyes. She even blinked as many times as she could, thinking she was imagining it.
Zaretsky Vitalik, father. Below it was written in blue ink, gratuitously. Well, how's Julia? Chinetsky said they're discharging her tomorrow. Arthur met Paulina with a satisfied grin. I'll drive you in my car. Pauline silently approached her lover. She stood for a moment, as if gathering her thoughts, then she slapped him with all her might. Arthur's face twitched, and his glasses fell from his nose and flew to the floor. I'll be on my knees until he forgives me. Pauline turned to her daughter. What a fool I was, what have I done? Tears were streaming from her eyes. I'm going to him right now. Julia was silent. She was in shock and didn't understand what to do. The truth collapsed on her like a courier train derailed. And it was all her fault. She had torn the love for her father from her heart and thrown herself into the arms of a stranger. A swindler who wanted to make money out of her illness. Paulina went up to the right floor and pressed the bell button. The door was opened by a strange man. Hello, is Vitalik home? Pauline tried to see behind the man's back the silhouette of her ex-husband. This must be the former owner. We bought the apartment in the agency and where he is now I do not know. Excuse me. The man closed the door. Pauline leaned against the wall. Her legs shook and she grabbed the railing to keep from falling. Tears covered her eyes. She stood for a while and then began to slowly descend the stairs. P.S. A month later, Yura came to see me. He greeted me by the hand and stared at the new log cabin with surprise. You did it yourself? He shook his head incredulously. I smiled and shrugged. There was someone else sitting in my son's car. But the windows were tinted, so I couldn't see who. Are you with Natasha? I put my palm to my forehead, the sun was shining directly into my eyes. No, Natasha is at home, it's the human who came to see you. My son laughed. I opened the door and was stunned. Anya? She smiled hesitantly. You're not gonna send me away. I hugged her, stunned by the sudden happiness that had fallen on me, and around us Akbar was barking happily. If you enjoyed this story, please like and leave a comment. It's important for us and will help promote this video. Thank you for watching us. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger. For the ones who get it done.